ignorant in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. And this is the American Radicals Podcast, uh, episode number one. I am your host, Steve Friend, joined by my fellow suspendable and good friend, Garrett O'Boyle. Brother, this has been a long time in coming. Are you ready for episode one of the AMRAD podcast? I'm ready. I believe we have been born ready. We've been put on the path and we continue to humbly march forward. And here we are, episode one. Welcome, everybody. It is very exciting. And uh, we are going to have a lot to talk about today. But I think for purposes of memorialization, I know we're going to bring over some people uh, who are mutual fans of the Kyle Serafin show. Kyle's our buddy. Uh, he's going to be talking to his audience about this coming up. Uh, people know us from the news. They know us from TV. They know us from podcasts. Uh, but somewhere down the line, there's going to be a new listener, hopefully, when this podcast uh, goes through the roof as a blue flamer. And uh, we're going to want to have a record of who you are, who I am. Obviously, our stories are going to be fleshed out as episodes progress. We don't want this to be all about a biography on Garrett O'Boyle or a biography on Steve Friend. But I do think it's important uh, to lay out some of our bona fides so people know exactly who is talking. So, Garrett, somewhere between uh, the label of, hi, my name is Garrett on your shirt sleeve and the Barack Obama writing three to four autobiographies before the age of 60, can you hit the sweet spot in there and let everyone know who is Garrett O'Boyle? O'Boyle, Garrett J, one each. Uh, let's see. I am a father of four beautiful daughters, a husband to a beautiful wife. As you can tell from my accent, I am a northerner. I, I, I hail, hail from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where we are again. Um, I grew up in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, not too far from the airport, if you're familiar with the region. Uh, let's see, a family of five. I have a twin brother. I have a brother who's about 13 months older, mom and dad. And uh, more than anything, uh, I'm a Christian. And after, let's see, high school, I ended up joining the army. I did that for about six years. I was an infantryman. Um, I deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan for a year each. Then I got out of the army, went back to school to pursue a degree in criminal justice. I became a police officer in Waukesha, Wisconsin. I did that for about four years. I finished my bachelor's degree while I was there, uh, graduating cum laude. That just means with honors from Marquette University in downtown Milwaukee. About a year after graduation, I got through the hiring process with the FBI. That was in 2018. I was, uh, driving to Quantico, Virginia in early July of that year, where after successfully finishing uh, training, I was assigned to the Kansas City Division down in the Wichita Resident Agency, where I was for about four years. I, two of those years were on the SWAT team that I tried out for and was selected for in Kansas City, uh, which Steve was present at that tryout. We've talked about before, but we'll probably get into it at some point on this, on this show. Um, after... Yeah, about four years, I had tried out for a new position in the Quantico region. And in that time, I had been whistleblowing to Congress for about 10 months. And uh, at the at the new unit that I tried out for and was selected for, my very first day, I was suspended and became a bona fide suspendable. And that is how and why most of you have come to know me. They do indeed. And uh, we, I'm sure we'll have to expand on what it actually is to be a suspendable at some point. Uh, background on me first, um, was a police officer in Georgia for a number of years, joined the FBI 2014, was sent to the Omaha division, the Sioux City, Iowa resident agency. And I investigated Indian reservations there for about seven years, transferred eventually to Daytona Beach, Florida in the Jacksonville field office to work on child pornography. After a short amount of time, though, was voluntold to work on domestic terrorism and specifically the January 6th cases, saw that the shenanigans that have been going on with those cases uh, that the FBI has been pushing out by the hundreds and thousands around the country. I had some concerns about uh, the way that they were managing them, as well as their aggressive means about sending SWAT teams to arrest people who said that they will cooperate. 
came forward with my concerns. FBI suspended me as well. And pretty close timeline to you as far as when we eventually were walked out. And uh, we have crossed paths henceforth and uh, and sort of formed this alliance, you, me, Kyle, and a few others who have been a little bit out of the spotlight. Uh, but we call ourselves the Suspendables. It's a great story. We'll get into that. But the purpose that I have for really putting that on the table is about a year ago, you were a working stiff, as was I. Family man, police officer, in your case, a veteran, not looking to go uh, into any sort of podcasting space or going on TV or being in print media. And I think that that sort of gives you and me a unique perspective where we sort of have one foot in the regular life and one toe maybe into the media world. And we're really endeavoring both you and me to be in that world, but not of that world. And as a result of that, we can sort of look at what goes on with an educated eye, with the backgrounds, with an investigator's eye, with a biblical worldview as you have that's so strong. And we're going to bring that whenever we come forward with any for, forward, uh, any sort of episodes, not just breaking the news. We, The news story is a man bites a dog. We're going to come at it from well, what's going on in society that causes the man to bite the dog. And I think that we, we have those perspectives and, and it'll be of value to anyone uh, who, who chooses to, to come along with us. And we hope that anyone who is joining us now uh, or in the future will uh, we'll get some benefit from it. And speaking of, if you are joining us right now, be sure to like and subscribe to this channel, share it far, share it wide. We really think that uh, a lot of people are going to benefit from the information that we have. And, and we're grateful for that, that chance that, that you'll give us and we hope to follow through. So with that being said, I think that the first thing we can do to set the tone for this inaugural voyage that we are on here is to launch uh, a video clip that uh, is a superhero character that's close to your heart and mine, the OG superhero. This is Batman. Uh, I would like to send us off with this one, and it is pertaining to the subject of vengeance. You can't move, huh? Now knock his ass out. Showtime. I am vengeance from the uh, most recent Batman movie, The Batman. That is, I tell you what, Garrett, that is a far cry from the Adam West TV show of old, where I think we would have had a, a kapow pop up on screen before he <laughs> bludgeoned that guy and arguably, you know, took some deadly force actions against him. Uh, how would you contrast Adam West from, what is it, Christopher Pattinson? Batman Batman has evolved it seems from the uh, lovable laughable comic book character of the 60s to uh, what he is today a violent vengeance filled uh, anti-hero in some ways but uh, yeah he he is and and I think that it's a it's a subject worth sort of delving into especially where you have a unique and uh, and very diverse background a biblical worldview um, I think you can bring something to this. And this is sort of something that I've been mulling over my head. Uh, after uh, our experiences over the last year 
and sort of going to war, if you will, with uh, an FBI that is weaponized against the American population, a large swaths of it at least, and uh, internally against its own employees. We've been fighting and fighting. It's tempting to just want to bring the pain towards them. Uh, but from my understanding, vengeance does not belong to us. It belongs to a higher power. Um, and I, I'm having a tough time sort of coping with that in my in my mind and also simultaneously thinking, well, am I allowed to fight back or do I have to just let it happen to me? Um, interested in knowing your perspective on that and, and what you can pull out of scripture here that might uh, lead us as we're going to go into our stories that we have prepared uh, for this episode. For sure. And I mean, we're just scratching the surface here because, man, our 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 time with with this fight, with what has happened to us, boy, can it draw, draw out the humanness. And that includes our sinful nature and our lust for vengeance and even our lust for justice, how we perceive it. But we don't always get that right. And so we'll turn to uh, Romans chapter 12 and I'll read verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Whoo, there's a lot there. And... Just scratching the surface on it, it is hard to to say, okay, I want to do this the right way. And I want vengeance from this human perspective. I want them to feel what I have felt. I want their evilness to be extracted on them tenfold. But we're told, don't avenge yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Repay no one evil for evil. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. So how do we flesh that out? living in this life, in this fallen world. And to your question, Steve, about do I just lay down and take it? I think absolutely not, because it also says, do what is honorable in the sight of all. So there are other areas we can point to about being meek and being humble. Uh, that doesn't mean we have to give in to wickedness and vileness and evilness. You know, I think of the Old Testament prophets a lot. And they were calling out the evil and the wicked. And the vast majority of the time, that was right to the government because they were the ones who were leading the people astray into worship of false gods, into just abhorrent behavior. And, you know, as you know, Jonah, the book of Jonah has a special place in my heart. He was sent to a place that he hated. He hated the people. He They were an enemy of his people. But he went eventually, anyways, and said, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And eventually, from the king on down, they repented and uh, God's wrath was, was stayed. And that's, you know, a lot of people say, well, if you have a Christian worldview, you, you can't get involved with politics and, and you can't call out uh, the evilness of the world. They don't, they don't live how you live. They don't have a worldview like you have. That's, that, I mean, that's false doctrine. You know, that, that, that's borderline apostasy. Um, I know a lot of those people are afraid and they want to live in their little bubble, but we can't. You know, the title of this podcast is American Radicals. And, and part of that rings true because of, of how radical Jesus was. He was so radical that he was killed at the hands of a corrupt government. Not only were the Roman authorities corrupt, it was the Jewish authorities who were corrupt and put him to death. And so living for Christ and living like Christ doesn't mean not pointing out error, not pointing out sin, not pointing out flaws. It means standing on the truth and doing those things in love as hard as that can be. But being honest and speaking the truth is about the most Christ-like thing we can do. Now, I know certainly myself, I have failed 
in the last 15 months or so. There are times where I have crossed the line into malice, into spite, into sin. I'll admit that. I have no problem admitting that. It's the truth. I'm a sinner. I sin every day. I get angry. I get filled with anxiety. I get fearful. And I, I sin. And does that mean we can't point out the wickedness that is happening in the FBI and other places of the government? Absolutely not. I think it, 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 it lends a hand to saying you must. And it's just a very fine line to walk as humans. But that's why we have God's word to help us direct our path. Man, you have a remarkable uh, patience and a, a, a docile persona. After after your story, and, and again, we will get into it more as, as episodes uh, progress. Uh, and, and actually, this one specifically, your experience, I think, is worth highlighting because uh, your experience, brother, the fact that you're able to restrain yourself even to the extent that you are now and pray for your enemies to me is amazing. Uh, and and I want to get to the story. Uh, before we do that, just to show the, the fall that you have suffered, uh, you were on the cusp of a brand new uh, element within the FBI, an elite surveillance unit that you had facilitated a transfer for, you were going to move your whole family halfway across the country for, when that was all pulled away from you. And now, you know, you're wearing a T-shirt right now, um, you are pushing out merchandise on behalf of our organization. Uh, it's great stuff, guys, by the way, uh, and, but it's a far cry from what I think you probably envision. <laughs> but I think it's worth uh, worth mentioning that in our inaugural podcast, and I think it's appropriate that the first thing we talk about, if we're going to get off topic and, and, and do a plug, it should be yours, and that is the-suspendables.com. You will see uh, Garrett's actually quite a talented graphic artist when it comes to uh, to drawing up ideas for for T-shirts for our group. Uh, they, there's lapel pins, there's ball caps. Big fan of the ball caps, especially here where I am in Florida. Uh, the, the the trucker cap it helps keep me cool. Uh, and and that lapel pin we have handed out to some people of uh, pretty high esteem and note, and they were rocking it uh, when we did uh, our trip down to watch the police state film. We'll give it to some movers and shakers. It's it, the website is the dash suspendables.com. Don't forget the dash, or you go to a hockey website and you're going to be thinking, Garrett, what the heck happened? Um, but uh, Christmas season is upon us. Uh, do some shopping there, and, and I think that you will benefit Garrett, you'll benefit others, and you'll have a great conversation about what it is like and what is the reason for being a suspendable. And speaking of being a suspendable, let's get to our first story which was uh, recently put out by our friend over at the Washington Times, Carrie Pickett. Carrie uh, revealed some recent whistleblower disclosures, not from you, not from me, uh, from somebody who neither one of us is actually acquainted with. And this story is called FBI Accused of Targeting Trump Types, Agents Who Served in Military Deemed, quote, Disloyal. That title alone, I think, speaks volumes of where uh, our former or my former employer, your current, because you still technically are a suspended agent, whereas I am a former agent. I think uh, that speaks volumes of how it is no longer the agency uh, that that we applied to the agency of Point Break. Uh, <laughs> you know, where they were going after the bad guys and the bank robbers. Uh, now they're looking interior. Uh, your reaction, having read this article, which is uh, is quite telling, it names names. Of, of individuals within the FBI's security division, which is in charge of adjudicating whether or not any FBI employee should have a security clearance, which you need to have in order to work at the FBI. It seems that high-ranking individuals uh, had you in their crosshairs specifically for what you were doing lawfully with Congress. What's your feedback initially uh, upon reading this? I know you have some pretty strong feelings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, infuriation. I'm infuriated uh, is my initial takeaway. And, you know, I think back to what I just read in Romans. It says, you know, you're going to heap burning coals on their head if, if you if you treat the people who persecute you uh, correctly. And man, it that has been the struggle since Friday for me. I talked with Carrie before the, the story came out. And yeah, like you said, we don't even know these whistleblowers or whistleblower who brought this information for it. I'm grateful they did. Uh, it's, it's on one hand, it's kind of crazy to see it happen, uh, within the time frame that it has. Cause for me, it's only been a little over a year. You know, I was suspended in September of last year and here we are in November 
And um, it comes right around an interesting anniversary of when they finally allowed me to go get my belongings after, as it says in the article from the protected disclosure, after trying to financially devastate me and my family, and they almost succeeded. So it's, it's really difficult to try to heap burning coals on their head. And especially around Veterans Day, um, I wear this bracelet on my wrist, a friend, a mentor, a leader, a, a hero, really, a friend of mine killed in Afghanistan. And I guarantee you, if he was alive today, he would say, Garrett, I'm, I'm proud of what you're doing. Even if he didn't agree with everything, he, he would say, you're standing up for the truth. You are upholding your oath. And it's just uh, the, the additional slap in the face of, oh, military service members who work for the FBI are now deemed disloyal. And how do you come back from that? You can't. You can't. I mean, look, you stood up, swore an oath to protect the Constitution, obey the president of the United States, essentially forfeit your life for this country. And the FBI looks at that as potentially meaning you're radicalized against the country, which is completely nonsensical uh, if, in fact, you think that the FBI is an objective force for good. And, and here, look, this is going to be about bold facts, this show. We're going to name the names. Kerry did that. Uh, we're not protecting any, any of the identities. These two individuals, Jeffrey Veltri, who was the deputy assistant director of the Bureau Security Division, and Dina Perkins, assistant section chief. Now, for some clarity, the security division of the FBI, we call it SECD. It is uh, underneath the human resources branch of the FBI. And, and as I alluded to before, they will look at individuals around the FBI, uh, their security clearances, and, and adjudicate whether or not they are loyal enough to the country to have one. And this is the hack when it comes to whistleblowing in the FBI as far as taking adverse action against individuals. Look, you blew the whistle on one thing. I blew the whistle on a different thing. We did it via the law. 5 USC 2303 is the whistleblower enhancement uh, law that was passed. It sort of lays out how you are supposed to bring a concern about waste, fraud, abuse, or risk to the public safety. And it has to be a reasonable concern. You don't have to be right but you have to bring it to the proper channels. You can't just go screaming over to Project Veritas or you can't go screaming over to CNN uh, where they'll be happy to put on the Chiron that you're a whistleblower. But by the black letter of the law, that's not true. You have to bring your concerns forward to people within your chain of command, to the inspector general's office, to the office of the special counsel, to a member of Congress. You and I did that. However, the FBI found the hack. And the hack is we're not going to take adverse action against you because you're a whistleblower. We're going to find some sort of reason to take away your security clearance, suspend it. And we'll have to figure that out. And then that might take a couple of years if necessary, during which time you're unpaid and you're indefinitely suspended. And, and that sort of financial hardship, most people can't sustain that. Uh, and, and, and I don't think that they should be expected to. Um, certainly, I was the exception uh, where you know I was a little bit more financially independent. But here's the other problem. It creates a chilling effect from other people from coming forward. And, and as a result of that, people who might have that reasonable concern that something is wrong and rotten within the agency, they're going to be less inclined to do that. And, and that is not in keeping with what the FBI trained you to do and trained me to do. And that is throw the flag if you see something wrong. And, and Garrett, can you just explain a little bit about how we learned that lesson and, and where we went to in our training for that? Absolutely. I mean, it's something if, if people who are watching, who've seen us talk before, you've probably seen us talk about our mandatory trip, every new FBI employee, mandatory trip to go to the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, DC. And it is a profound trip. It had a profound impact on me, which is probably why I talk about it so much. Um, Prior to that trip, when I was a police officer, I encountered the story of Reserve Police Battalion 101. Uh, you can read about them in the book, uh, Ordinary Men. And this is where we are as a society, again, especially for those in law enforcement. By 1941-42, that Reserve Police Battalion, they were executing full sale uh, men, women, and children who were Jewish because they were told to. And reading their account, and even right now, there's a, a short documentary on Netflix about them, and it's it's horrifying. It's a horrifying account, even just that, and it's only about an hour. Um, but uh, when you go back through the history of how the Nazi regime got to where it was, 
a great point to start is at the Holocaust Memorial Museum. And their website has been a fascinating resource throughout all this because you can literally look back through the history. And that is the point of the trip is to learn the history, to learn the atrocity so it doesn't happen again. We have this myth of, of, of American exceptionalism where we think, oh, that could never happen here. Well, 1933 Germany, nobody was thinking concentration camps. Nobody was thinking full-on slaughter of segments of society that were deemed untermensch, which means subhuman in German. They were thinking, oh, well, we're the master race, we're superior, we're going to move on. In the early 30s in law enforcement in Bavaria, you had to be part of the Nazi party. A lot of people weren't who were in law enforcement, but hey, they were 15 years in or 10 or even three, and they needed their job. They were that close to their pension or whatever. So they said, all right, fine, I'm a Nazi. That's fine. Uh, and they carried on about their day. And then by the early 40s, they're executing people. And hopefully it won't get to that point in America. And a lot of people say, oh, well, once you bring up the Nazi argument, you've lost. Okay, well, people call Donald Trump, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, they always use that argument. And I do think it can be hollow at times. But when you look at it in this context, our specific situation and stories, well, why is the FBI taking us on that trip if they don't want us to actually think about it and compare our current law enforcement um, overreach to that very trip? That was the whole entire point. And when you get to this point in a society, I mean, all you can do is start waving the alarm bells because it's probably already too late. And then when the regime starts to fire people who aren't adhering to their dictates, how is that any different than saying, hey, I'm actually not a Nazi, but I do want to be a cop still. And they say, well, you can't. You're fired. Off you go. And they find some nefarious reason uh, to get rid of you. There in Germany, they passed a law to do it. Here, it's a little bit more nefarious because there is no law. There's just the security clearance process that they've weaponized. And like you said, they just find a way anyway. You know, in my case, it was, oh, somebody, we won't tell you who, but somebody made an allegation that you leaked things to the media. And then the things they claimed I leaked were all, were all things I made protected disclosures about to Congress. And then in your case, it was, oh, you violated some policy about, about getting uh, an employee manual and you're going to lose your security clearance over that. Well, now we're finding out it's because we were anti-COVID vaccine. We are coming from a Judeo-Christian faith basis, or we are a military veteran. And, you know, these common threads, uh, they run the gamut for all suspendables that we know of. Every single one that I know of, at a minimum, didn't get the COVID vaccine. And here we all are. We're all suspended or fired or resigned for various reasons after being, after having our clearance suspended. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I don't know where we go from here other than to continue to raise the alarm bells because, you know, the FBI is so used to people like us just being quiet, just bending down, laying down, moving on and, and being passive and quiet. And so they're used to getting away with this type of nefarious behavior. And as long as we draw breath, I think we're going to be the counter to this wickedness. Yeah, I think you nail it right there. And, and this is a great piece that Carrie did here. Uh, I want to get to her other piece that, that we, uh, we were talking about uh, that actually came before this. But I do think it's worth noting uh, one more excerpt from from Carrie's. It says, other signs that an employee was a, quote, right-wing radical and disloyal to the United States, unquote, according to Ms. Perkins and Mr. Veltri, were failure to wear a face mask, refusing to take the COVID-19 vaccination, and participating in religious activities. It was outwardly known the, that those sorts of activities were attributable to having a right-of-center political worldview, and obviously... The FBI security division thinks that that means you're disloyal to the United States, which would be surprising to most Republicans who seem to be the back the blue type, whereas those on the left were at least a couple of years ago screaming that we needed to dismantle police stations all across America. Uh, and let's transition, though, to uh, to this second article that, that Kerry put uh, put out a little bit before so that we were going sort of back to front on it. Uh, but before I do that, uh, shameless self-promotion, folks. You can uh, pick up a copy of my book that is now on Amazon. Uh, it sort of goes through my personal experience um, with the whistleblowing process, with being in the FBI. Uh, it's called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. It's on Amazon. Uh, I'm the world's worst grifter, contrary to what Debbie Wasserman Schultz indicated during our testimony in front of Congress. No advance. 
I've received no royalties. Uh, to me, I told the publisher that didn't matter to me. I wanted this information out there. And when I sent the manuscript to the FBI, I did it as a courtesy with full intention of publishing every piece of it. There's no state secrets in there. There's nothing that's going to compromise ongoing investigations, as the FBI likes to say everything does. Uh, they wanted me to pull out about 40 pages, PDF pages, uh, not just 40 pages of the book. And the, uh, we're talking about probably somewhere around the lines of 18, 20% of the actual book pulled out. Uh, reviews to do that. Uh, it includes things about my whistleblowing, my involvement with the Gretchen Whitmer case, and then also a fully transcribed interview that I did with senior executives where they tried to compel me to violate my oath of office. So it's a good read. I've been told I'm the world's most okayest author. <laughs> uh, not going to challenge you too much with the uh, with the ten dollars words, uh, but uh, I would appreciate it if if you want to give it a read, gift it for Christmas, uh, and uh, you can look it for it on Amazon. All right, shameless self-promotion over. Let's get into Carrie's uh, other article. It is called Whistleblowers Accuse Senior FBI Officials of Retaliating Against Agents for Their Political Beliefs. So obviously keeping in the same vein here that Garrett touched on, uh, and that was specifically more towards those who were military veterans or maybe not complying with the edicts with the COVID. Um, this one hit our buddy Kyle Serafin pretty close to home. Um, it pertained to... Uh, so first of all, the uh, the police state movie that both Kyle and I had the privilege of working with Dinesh D'Souza and Dan Bongino on, and that came out, and we were involved in a technical advising capacity. But the FBI thought that we had a mole on the inside who was giving us information that we were then going to put on the silver screen uh, and then walk that individual out the door as an insider threat. And, uh, and, and that, that was one component. And then we get more into Kyle's actual experience, which, uh, his again, transient reason for being suspended. He objected to the regular testing and, uh, for, for COVID and for the, the vaccination as a whole. And he had been, uh, an effective whistleblower on a number of other things. And he was targeted because he was out at a gun range shooting and a police officer got confused about whether or not he was allowed to be out there. And the FBI saw fit to say that he was completely acting legally, but they didn't like it anyway. He needed to be suspended. Your thoughts, sir? Well, I would say, like this situation with Kyle shooting out in the desert of New Mexico, it's similar to what they tried to do with your book. Uh, it's similar to their case uh, on the movie Police State, movie, documentary. And what it boils down to is how arbitrary this is. This has nothing to do with legitimate bona fide reasons uh, to investigate anybody for anything. You, you know, in, in, in their uh, response, because they were scrambling over the weekend, uh, they told Carrie Pickett and the Washington Times that it's all demonstrably false and they don't do, you know, they basically deny doing everything that they're doing and that we know they're doing and that whistleblowers that we don't know are continue to verify that they're doing. But one of the things they said is we don't, uh, infringe, or I don't even know if they use that word, but we don't infringe on the First Amendment right of employees. Telling you to take out 40 pages is precisely that. That's precisely infringing on your First Amendment right because it's information that they don't want people to know. And then with Kyle shooting out in the desert, you and I both were police officers before. The officer cleared the call. See Charles, no report. I'm done. It's over. I'm out. It, I'm gone. He self He self-dispatched himself to begin with. He didn't know the uh, jurisdictional boundaries. He didn't even know if he was in his right jurisdiction. And Kyle basically said, uh, I'm shooting out here. I mean, I'm not going to stop just because you came and claimed that people were quote unquote freaking out. Well, someone freaking out doesn't mean that my constitutional rights go away. So bye. I mean, clear your call and see ya. And, but the FBI, in all of these scenarios, they're going to grasp at straws for any little reason to say, hey, we can yank their clearance because there's no due process there. We can find any reason. There's 13 adjudicative guidelines. And you know what? One of them is personal conduct. So that's kind of the catch-all. So we will use that and just say, oh, you were shooting out of the desert. We didn't We didn't like how you talked to the officer. So you're done. Or in your case, oh, um, we're going to just claim that you misused information technology systems, which they did in my case as well. And there's no true review of any of this. So they just yank your clearance and bye, see ya, because, you know, we are going to continue to just be the heavy handed fist of the regime. And if you're an employee who wants to work for us, 
you better just absolutely toe the line, do as you're told, comply with your superior orders. And if you like getting your paycheck and your pension and your benefits, you're just going to have to do those things. That, that to me is, is the most disturbing part of this, that people were able to set aside uh, what you would hope that they had been vetted for having their integrity on as, as a person to be hired by the FBI and uh, upholding their motto, fidelity, bravery, and integrity. Yet when they are asked to jump, they say, how high? Because yep. it's just so much easier to go along with this group think this hive mind that has infiltrated and infested the upper levels and has then seeped down to the lower levels. One, because of fear. Two, because of personal profiteering. Three, because these guys that go back and forth to headquarters, they catch the disease and they bring it back out to the field with them. So there is a little bit of osmosis that goes there. But I, I've uh, done away with saying the good men and women of the FBI. And I do know some good people on the inside, but I think writ large that phrase is wholly inappropriate at this point. Uh, you have to have your head so far into the sand to not know the abuses that have been widely reported across all media and regardless of how they, they're tinted and, and tinged. Uh, you have to be blind, willfully blind and ignorant to think that you're just doing your job and you're not going to worry about it. And maybe uh, a new election will come along and we'll go back to the good old days. <laughs> That's not appropriate. Certainly not in keeping with the training that you and I received uh, and not in keeping with the oath of office, which has just been so disappointing to me. I didn't have that, that moment. I, I said very early on, I was expecting this captain America in end game scenario that would play out. You look around you say, well, nobody's willing to step up. I'll be that guy. I'll step up, I'll say it, and then it's just going to take one, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'll look off and I'll hear on your left. And then all these people will follow suit, and they haven't. There hasn't been uh, enough character, uh, people of, of, of integrity behind and, and, and high moral fiber behind to, to, to follow through. And I think there hasn't been enough covering fire from the congressional, congressional reps that we've gone to. Uh, to actually give the protection. There's no reason why you sit in an unpaid status. I mean, they could leave you paid and just working from home or staying home. I think you'd probably take that, uh, you know, and just parlay that into an even bigger t-shirt venture capitalist uh, <laughs> project. But, you know, that's not happening. And and you, your name is known. My name is known in our intro to the show. That's clips from you and me publicly testifying six months ago. Uh, and, and yet there's been no action on it, which is incredibly disappointing and disheartening. And check the calendar lately. We're about to enter an election season. How much do you think is going to get done next year? Right. Probably. Yeah. Very little, you know, and you, you, you talk about on your left and instead you get Thanos snapping his fingers. And thankfully, uh, if for those who are watching or listening that are familiar with the, you know, Marvel universe franchise, what happened after Thanos snapped his fingers? Half half the people were gone, to include the quote unquote superheroes. Uh, but they 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 drove forward. The ones who were who were remaining did. And I honestly kind of think that's that's where we are at. You, me, and Kyle, and and others behind the scenes who aren't who aren't named, who aren't public, and then all of the allies we have found along the way. You know, like Carrie Pickett, uh, like Dan Bongino, like Sebastian Gorka, like um, you know. There's so many Michael Schellenberger at public and, and his crew. Um, I mean, there's the list can go on and on and on and on that we have found them and they have found us. And, you know, part of that is, I would say, especially uh, Kyle and you just out there beating, beating the war drums, you know, and then me months later, you know, uh, after we testified, finally, uh, my lawyer saying, OK, we think the time is now. So so go go forth and and, and keep keep bringing the message. And so that's what we're trying to continue to do with this podcast. And, and hopefully all of you will help spread it. And, and we're going to, we're going to keep going. Like there's no, there's no other option. You know, like I said, uh, when I testified, I quoted from Isaiah six, eight, here am I send me, uh, that's not this mighty war cry. Like, let's go here. Am I, it's more like a, uh, hmm, there's nobody else left. There's nobody else around. God's making the call and I'm, I'm it. So what other choice do I have? I don't, I don't want this. I know you don't want this. None of us wanted this. And it's, it's, it's coming from a place of necessity. Correct. Correct. I mean, look, I was in a unique position once I got into the FBI 
I honestly had the experience of saying, I really like my job. Mm -hmm. Sunday night would roll around and I was good. I was ready right. for Monday, man. First I, job I had that that was the case. They, there was that saying, you find a job you love and you never work another day in your life. And I felt like I had it. Then there was that, that concept of being in the flow. I've experienced it many, many times as an FBI agent where you just, you have that day and one thing after another, after another lines up perfectly and you're able to, to, to get a case done and you, you make significant gains on it and you feel like you really did your job that day and you're proud and you're happy with yourself. And then I also had the added ego stroke because I've got two little boys. I would come home and they would always meet me at the door and ask, how many guys did you put in jail today, dad? And did they cry? Uh, and did the SWAT thing just like you. So I had all the, the cool gadgets and they, they like to do uh, and play. So in my house, we don't play guns. We play close quarter battle and we are practicing our room clearing techniques and driving my wife crazy. So it's fantastic, especially when my little guy insists on having a boonie cap and his uh, Nerf shotgun. And he likes to do breaches for us, explosive breaches, which is excellent. Uh, but uh, obviously you and I did not fit the mold of a good man of the FBI uh, because we're not just willing to follow through and, and follow orders uh, when they conflicted with our oath of office and with the training that we received. So uh, I want to transition now to a third story. And I think this is, you know, your, your topic from, from Carrie specifically to you being a, a vet and being targeted the way you were by SEC D uh, was worth bringing in. We want to touch on Kyle's because uh, he is the, uh, he's the OG suspendable as well. And he deserves as much attention as we can possibly give him because uh, he's out there killing it for us. And we like to return the favor here on the AMRAD podcast. Speaking of, make sure you like and subscribe. We would like very much for this channel, which is under the Kyle Serafin Show umbrella, but simultaneously is going to have uh, its own network going. Uh, we want this one to grow as well. We want to give people, when they're not watching Kyle every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Texas, America time uh, to come on over and, and view us because uh, we, we bring a, a, our own perspectives. And there's a reason that all of us get along so well. We all sort of are in the similar vein of thought, similar personalities, but we have different skill sets and different perspectives. And I think uh, makes it keeps it very interesting. So that being said, let's transition to the third story for us, which is not a Carrie Pickett Washington Times story. This is a daily caller story, and this hits pretty close to home for me. Um, this is uh, this is from Susan Suzanne Downing, and the title is "How Many Perverts Do the FBI Ignore While Chased Trump Supporters?" And if you dig into this article, it talks and discusses a case where the FBI essentially had a pedophile dead to rights had a full investigation open, had enough to really charge him. But January 6th happens, and they stick a pin in that and then move and divert resources over to domestic terrorism, which we were told, you know, January 6th was the worst case in the history of the country, worse than September 11th, worse than the Civil War, worse than, I don't know, the fall of the Roman Empire, whatever they want to say, uh, this is the big one. So obviously a pedophile has to be left alone to just continue to, uh, to violate little kids. And as a result of that, a man for a number of years was left out to view child pornography, to entice minors, to attempt to actually uh, have sexual contact with a small child. And the case was completely lost. And because of sort of accident, the case was recovered. A number of years later and they were able to eventually charge this guy and, and who knows in the interim you know how many other people were victimized and, and not just that how many other cases were like this and i think that this is hits me personally because i transferred to florida to specifically work on child exploitation cases child pornography human trafficking and was working those and doing them very effectively and actually got a an award about two months before i got suspended but the FBI pulled me off of that and very specifically told me that those were not a priority for the FBI going forward. So contrary to what Christopher Ray, my former boss, your current boss, testified to in front of the Judiciary Committee when he said that no agents were pulled off of child pornography cases to work on January 6th, obviously the Daily Caller has broken this wide open, shown to be a provable lie. I can say from personal experience, it is a provable lie. 
And I'm hoping and, and crossing my fingers that maybe we'll see perjury referral for the director of the FBI. He certainly deserves it. Uh, and, uh, and, and maybe, maybe we'll get it. You think hopefully I won't hold my breath. I'm hopeful, <laughs> but, uh, I actually think of, um, Habakkuk's complaint. So I, I, I just tweeted this the other day, so it was fresh on my mind, but in the old Testament book, Habakkuk chapter one, verse three and four, it says, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And if we aren't living in an era that is completely analogous to the Old Testament prophets and what they endured and saw and went through, I mean, it just, it just really strikes home for me because if there's one segment of, of society that we should be doing right by in law enforcement, it is children. And we're going to pull them. I don't care. It could have been the absolute worst violent offender on January 6th. I don't care. That you find somebody else, just assign it to the JTTF and let them work it. That should the Joint Terrorism Task Force. But instead, no, they drum up every single person they can to work on these leads and these cases. And then something like this falls through the cracks, and these people are allowed to go on and destroy and distort. And I mean, it's it's the worst type of sexual perversion, is 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 this this lust for, for children. It's very demonic and satanic. It's the worst of the worst. And if not the FBI and law enforcement going after those people, then who, I mean, that's what we precisely exist for. That's what law enforcement is for is to protect the most vulnerable And here. They're letting them be the ones victimized. It's abhorrent. I agree, man. I agree. And and look, this is something that I've sort of uh, digested and and mold over in my mind. Uh, and and you and I definitely have an uh, appreciation for it being prior law enforcement in general before the FBI. Uh, when you become a police officer, an FBI agent, whatever, if you carry a gun and a badge, you kind of have these two principles that they get tossed at you that you have to be willing to say yes to in order to get through that first threshold. One is, will you carry a gun? Yes. Will you are you willing to inflict a violence up to and including death upon someone if it is necessary? Yes. Well, you can at least try to enter our ranks. If the answer to is no to either one of those, that's a no-go for you. You can't become a member of law enforcement community. I think as a society writ large, we need to consider adding a third one to that. Are you willing to work child exploitation cases? Because now currently as it, as it sits, you don't have to. You can beg off of it and say, look, I've got children. I find the images disturbing. I can't cope with that. And as a result of that, this thing has ballooned out of control and there's not enough people there and available to work it. And I think as a result of that, our society has had massive, massive catastrophic consequences uh, where these guys have been able to be out there, even if they're being actively pursued by an FBI, which shelved it. But even if they were, there's just too many cases to work. And, and I think that that is a question that is certainly worth having because there's nobody more vulnerable in our society than children. They are the most, avail most valuable resource mm -hmm. that we have as a country, as a globe. That's our progeny. And if we're unwilling to do everything necessary to keep those, folk, those, those kids safe, uh, then I think we really need to reevaluate uh, where our priorities are, where we're putting our resources and our time and our attention. Um, and, and, and that's, uh, that, that's where I, I think might be a good place to sort of uh, leave it for this first episode. I know it's pretty heavy, uh, but we talked about things that were close to you, close to me, close to Kyle. Uh, I think I can think of no better approach to our first episode of the American Radicals podcast. Uh, Link at your closing thoughts here, and then uh, we'll send folks off uh, in, into their into their day. For me, closing thoughts are, I hearken back to that Batman clip and vengeance. We don't need to be the vengeance. God will, will extract the vengeance necessary. It's on his timeline, whether we see it on earth or not. 
but we are God's instruments. We can be used for his glory. That ought, ought to be our goal. And we can, and we ought to call out wickedness when we see it. Um, that That's part of, of what we're doing here is we're, we're pointing to this wicked, vile behavior, whether it's by, you know, a drug trafficking organization or a human trafficking organization or by the FBI or the DOJ or whatever entity, uh, you know, governmental media, you name it. When we see it, we'll call it out. We must. We have to. That was our mandate as law enforcers. And that has to continue to be our mandate. You have to speak for the truth. You have to stand firm on the foundation that we have which, which is God's word. That's our firm foundation. And we may not like everything we see in there. That doesn't mean it isn't the truth. And so it can be a fine line uh, to walk, but we can always point to the truth and we can always call out the truth and we can always call out this wicked, vile behavior that we're seeing in the world. That's really well said, man. And, and look, the, the prime directive of what we were doing on this show and what the suspendables in general do is we're going to put the evildoers to a decision for all their chips on every single hand. Pedal to the metal, full bore, we've burned the ships. There is no retreat. We're only going forward. And I, I think that uh, that is the only way that we can have any sort of victory here. I'm certainly content uh, to, to pursue that course of action. I know you are. I know Kyle is. And anybody in the Suspendables Nation, uh, that's going uh, to be one of the prerequisites to join our ranks. Uh, so we want to finish up here. Be sure to follow Garrett O'Boyle at GOB Actual on all the socials. Uh, he, he's, he's got his name out there. Uh, you have his sub stack, which is Garrett. Last line, like the shirt, last line, period, substack, period, com. Lastline.substack.com. And yeah, GOB Actual everywhere else. Yep, and the-suspendables.com for his merch. You can follow me, folks, at Real Steve Friend on Twitter, and I'm at Real underscore Steve Friend on Truth Social. And uh, I appreciate your time and attention. Like, share, subscribe to this channel, and we will see you on episode number two. Thank you very much. listening to the voice of the suspendables on the american radicals podcast follow us on rumble.com slash am rad pod <laughs>